0: Um, Here uh, on this memorial weekend, we do remember and honor our our veterans, those that um, certainly have paid that ultimate price uh, for our freedom, Um, those that have served and sacrificed. Thank you. Thank you for our veterans. Thank you for um, your commitment to follow uh, the call, the call to Uh, to serve this country. And this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Mark 1, 16 through 20. And we're going to see a different type of call, a call that Jesus uh, has placed on each and every one of our lives. And so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, out of Mark uh, 1, 16 through 20. God's Word says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, that is Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting out a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, the word that you have given to us. You have revealed yourself through the Holy Scriptures. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, would open our minds, Or that we can apply your word to our lives so that we may become more and more like Jesus each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we see in God's word and scripture um, that Jesus uh, called ordinary men, right? He called ordinary men to sacrifice all that they had, their livelihood, their family, to simply follow him. And to make disciples. And so this morning, my message is titled, Follow Jesus. Pretty simple. Follow Jesus. Um, And so the main point that I want to make this morning is that, like the disciples, Jesus has called us. And not only called us, but he has empowered us to sacrifice all in order to follow him and make disciples. And so that's what we see in this passage. And there's there's three points that I want to make. One is that Jesus calls us to follow him. The second is that Jesus empowers us to make disciples. And the third is that Jesus requires a response, right? And so here, the first thing we read in this passage in verse 16 is that passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And so when I read that, the first thing I ask myself is, well, where was Jesus at? Why is he passing along the Sea of Galilee? Where is he going? So we ask these questions. And so that takes us back to the beginning of the chapter, the beginning of Mark. And we read in verse 4 that John the Baptist, he appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so John the Baptist, as you will recall, John the Baptist was this man, uh, a Levite, one who committed his life to live uh, in the wilderness, to wear um, uh, camel uh, skin clothing, um, to eat uh, uh, locusts and honey. Now, we've heard of a lot of diets. Diets are very popular, right? You've heard of the Atkins diets, the keto diets. I've never heard of a John the Baptist diet. (laughs) I've never heard that. To go and eat locusts and wild honey. I don't know. Maybe there's something there. I'm not sure. But this is John the Baptist, right? So he's out there, and he's proclaiming. In verse 7, it says, He preached. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see here in, in chapter one, Mark is being very explicit, right? He, he's saying this John the Baptist is actually fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And so we read that in verses two and three. It says, as, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Here's the point Mark wants his readers, as he's writing this gospel, he wants his readers to understand that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Why does he want the reader to understand that? Because John is pointing to Jesus, John is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And so, so Mark is really driving this home that this is not something that he's making up, but yet this is a fulfillment of prophecy. He's establishing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we continue to read through chapter 1, we see verses, in verses 9 through 11 that Mark records John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, right? Right? And, and as we read that, we see that the Holy Spirit is like a dove and descends on Jesus. And then God the Father says, this is my son. We see that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. We see the, the Trinity take, uh, take hold there in this baptism. And so after Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit then drives Jesus out into the wilderness, right? He's there for 40 days. And during that time, Satan tempts him uh, three times uh, while he's out in the wilderness. And all of that is to show that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He overcomes Satan and those temptations. And so then, in verses 14 and 15, we read that Jesus begins his earthly ministry. It says that he came into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is why Jesus is in Galilee. This is why he is passing along the sea. Because he's, he's just come out of the wilderness and now he is in Galilee. And, and just as a reminder, Galilee is this, this fairly big region about 200,000, 300,000 people lived in Galilee. And actually, Jesus is from the lower portion of Galilee. That's where Nazareth is located. And so this area is primarily uh, a working agricultural area. Uh, They export uh, wheat. They export um, uh, oil olive oil, they export wine, and they're also known in this particular area, the Sea of Galilee, for their fishing industry. And so it is a fishing, it's an agricultural, uh, middle-class working area. That is where Jesus is at. And this is where Jesus goes to find his disciples. That's why he's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. Later we'll read that he is in the temple and teaching, but before he gets to the temple and teaches, he, he seeks out his disciples. That's why he's here. And so in 16, we read that he saw Simon and Andrew. And then in 19 and 20, we read that he saw James and John. And so why was he walking along the Sea of Galilee, because he was looking for Simon, he was looking for Andrew, he was looking for John, and he was looking for James. He was looking for these four individuals. The Bible is clear, it says he saw them. And then when he saw them, he called them. He came for these men. Let's not lose sight of why Jesus was there. He came looking for these four men. And so quickly, I want to run through. Who are these four guys? We know them through Scripture, right? So quickly, Simon Simon becomes one of the the more prominent disciples. In fact, on each list in the New Testament where it lists all 12 disciples, Simon's name is always first. Um, His name is mentioned more in the Gospels uh, than anyone else except for Jesus. Uh, Peter... Simon, also known as Peter, uh, speaks more than any other disciple. And Jesus speaks to Simon Peter more than the other disciples. Um, Jesus also rebukes Simon Peter more than any of the other disciples. And Peter actually rebukes Jesus. None of the other disciples did that. So we learn from Scripture kind of who this guy is. Who is Peter? Well, he's an eager guy, right? He's aggressive. He's bold. He's outspoken. That's who Peter is. He's the type of guy that would say things and do things before actually, you know, thinking it all the way through. Can you relate to anybody like that? Uh, no, no amens, ladies. No amens. <laughs> Your husband is right beside you, so be careful. Um, but right, he, he was just an ordinary guy. Just an ordinary guy. Well, Andrew. Andrew we know is Peter's brother. Um, Andrew is, is kind of least uh, known among the disciples. Um, you know, Andrew and Peter, they were part of the fishing uh, community. Um, they would have probably known James and John as well. They probably uh, knew them for a long period of time as they were in the same industry. Uh, the New Testament really depicts Andrew as the one who would introduce people to Jesus. Uh, In John 1, 35 through 42, we actually learn that Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. Now, in Mark's gospel, he doesn't really get into whether or not Jesus had met the disciples before um, this encounter. Uh, That's not really Mark's point. Mark's point is Jesus establishes his authority, uh, overcoming Satan in the wilderness, and now he's called disciples and they responded in obedience. So that's kind of Mark's point to his gospel. When John, we get a little bit more details, right? And so in John, we learn that Andrew is a follower of John the Baptist, um, as well as the others. And and Andrew actually encounters Jesus, and then he rushes back to tell his older brother, Peter, to say, hey, Simon, uh, the Messiah is here. It's this guy named Jesus. And so he introduces Peter to Jesus. That's kind of what Andrew is known for always introducing people to Jesus. In fact, when we read about the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the the fish and the loaves, who's the the disciple that introduces the boy to Jesus to make that miracle happen? It's Andrew. That's kind of how we know Andrew. He introduces people to Jesus. And then the second set of brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee. So James, as we read the New Testament, now James is always the younger are always paired with his younger brother John. They're always together. Um, again, their family business is fishing, and apparently they were pretty successful at it. They had enough resources that they were able to hire help, and we just read that that when they left, there was hired help there with their dad Zebedee. In addition to owning their own uh, business, and in addition to it being successful, you know Zebedee seems to possess some type of a prominent status within the Jewish community. We know that because in John 18, 15 through 16, we read that John was known to the high priest, right? And so Zebedee, he must be a man of importance. Uh, The family reputation has gone from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. So this family um, is known in the community. And so then John, the fourth character here, John um, the younger brother of James, he's a lot like his older brother. Both of them were ambitious and really kind of overconfident men, right? Um, he and James, if you'll remember, uh, they were very eager to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. Um, sons of thunder is what Jesus called them. And so they were kind of a little overconfident, um, They uh, also are the two brothers that argued. They argued over who's the greatest. So here's our um, band of brothers here. Here's our our cast that Jesus is looking for. Um, Simon named Peter. Um, Now, also, just a side note on Simon and Peter, you'll always remember later, Jesus actually changes Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock, and in Matthew, we learn that he says, Peter, you are, um, you are Peter. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And so, you know, Peter is pretty foundational in scripture. Um, but he changes his name uh, from Simon to Peter. Jesus does. And every time you read Simon, when Jesus says Simon, um, that's usually not a good thing, right? That means Peter's messed up some, in some way. You can almost see him cringe whenever Jesus says, Simon, it's like, ah, oh. you know, what, what did I do now? You know, I relate to this because growing up, if I heard my first, middle, and last name, I cringed. Stephen Charles Robert, oh. you know, my four kids, and I'm not going to mention any names, but this morning, my wife, my beautiful wife, Laura, I called one of them by their first, middle, and last name. I thought, oh, no, what did she do? I kind of gave it away. There's two girls, so now you just have to pick which one. Uh, but, you know, whenever Peter was doing the things he ought to be doing, Jesus called him Peter. When he was making poor choices, he was called Simon. Um, and so that's this, this group of characters that Jesus is looking for here at the Sea of Galilee. And the main point, the main point to all of this is, These four are just ordinary men. They're fishermen, right? They're hard workers. Um, They're blue-collar workers. They're business owners. Um, They're a little rough around the edges, but they're just ordinary men. They're they're tough men, but they're just ordinary men. They're just trying to make a living, uh, fishing to support their family. That's all they were doing. And then Jesus shows up right? Jesus comes looking for them. He saw them, and he called them. He said, follow me. In the Greek, that really literally means uh, to come after me. Um, It's a call to discipleship, to follow and to learn from the master teacher. This is not uncommon in the first century. This is uh, what many of the rabbi Um, the teachers would have students that would seek after them and to say, I want you to teach me. Now, this is a little bit different, though. Jesus is different than the other teachers in so many different ways. But here specifically, instead of them seeking him, Jesus is seeking his disciples. Jesus is seeking his students. That's the difference. Jesus is a man that has authority, And they notice this difference. He's he's seeking his students. He's not waiting for somebody to come to him. He's going after them. So who does Jesus call? Here's the question. Who does Jesus call to follow him? Jesus calls ordinary people living ordinary lives. That's what we see with these four sets, these two sets of brothers, these four men. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 1 26 through 30. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world And so here in Mark, in this passage, this passage is not about the disciples. This is not about their willingness to follow him. This is not about what they did. This passage is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about who he is. He seeks the lost. He seeks those disciples. He seeks you and he seeks me. That's what this passage is about. He chose them. He seeks to make more disciples, right? He desires uh, more disciples. Uh, We know this in 1 Timothy 2.4. It says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And even in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 18.33, it says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. That's the God we serve, the God that seeks us, the God that wants us to be in his family. That's the wonderful, glorious God that we serve. And so this morning, if you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer, know this. Know that God loves you. Know that God seeks you. He wants you to be a part of his family. Jesus Seeks you. So the next question is if he's calling us and he wants us to be a part of his family, if he wants us to to join him, how? How do we do that? How do we follow Jesus? Well, here in the Gospel of Mark, in verse 15, what does Jesus say? He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so repent. Repent means to turn away, right? To turn away from something and to turn to someone. Turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. We must repent. To follow Jesus, we must repent of our sin, our sin of unbelief. And then we must believe. We must believe in the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. We must believe that Jesus is that promised Messiah from the Old Testament. That Jesus came to this earth, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. And that he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to live as our king. That's what we must believe. We must believe the gospel, repent of our sins, and believe in Jesus. This is the good news. This is the gospel, it's in a, and it's a free gift. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? It's easy to, to believe. It's easy. Uh, God does not make this a hard process, but, but there is a cost There's a cost involved when we follow Jesus and we can't forget that cost, right? In verse 18, we read about this cost. It says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And in verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. And so they left their nets. The cost that these disciples had to make was that they left their livelihood, They left the only way they knew how to make money, and that was to be fishermen. They left their jobs. They dropped everything to follow Jesus. They walked away from their family business so that they could follow Jesus. And then they left their father. So not only did they leave their livelihood, they had to leave their family to follow Jesus. That's a high cost, right? The point is that Jesus, he requires complete and utter commitment to follow him we must be committed to following him if we're not following jesus if he is not our top priority in our life are we really christians are we really following him we read in mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 22 the story about the rich young man it says and as he was setting out on his journey a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him good teacher What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to them, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now I read this and you think, Am I saying that everyone must sell everything that you have to follow Jesus? My answer to that question is yes and no. Right? I hear people all the time say, well, what they're really saying and what Jesus meant is, you need to have a willingness to do this. That's wrong. It's more than a willingness. The disciples, they gave up their livelihood, they gave up their family to follow Jesus. Here, this rich young man, it wasn't, Jesus didn't say, hey, have a willingness to sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. No, he said, do it, sell that. And so, it is more than just a willingness. Now, when we read narratives in scripture, we know that they are descriptions of what took place, not necessarily a prescription, right? And so, in Mark 5, 18 through 20, we read about the demon-possessed man, and God exercised the demons, they went into the pigs, they ran off the cliff and drowned, we know that story. And, and we know that this man, when he was healed from Jesus, Um, he begged Jesus. He said, uh, it it says, uh, who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So here we read that this man Did not go with Jesus, he was told, No, stay put, stay in your town and proclaim all that I've done for you. So, not everyone is called, like the disciples and like this rich young man, not everybody is called to sell everything, to leave their home, to follow Jesus. But some are, and that's my point. Some of you in this room, God may be working on your hearts and calling you to go serve Him. To give up family. Some of you have, I'm certain of that. I can tell you our story back in 2007 and 2008, God placed a call on our lives to serve Him. I didn't know what that meant or looked like, but I knew that the next step for me was to, to get trained and to go uh, to move from Plant City, Florida to Wake Forest, North Carolina to attend Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. I knew that for certain after many months of prayer and counsel, I knew that was the next step. And even though the business that I was a part of, I was the succession plan. I was going to purchase that. We gave that up. We gave that up to follow Jesus and he is worth it. Now that is not something that I can do or my wife uh, could do. At the time, we just had two children. That's not something we do in our own power Just like the disciples, it's not about us and what we did. It's about Jesus and what he can do through us. He gave us the power and the strength to take that very next step. For us, it was just a logical next step. We had no job waiting for us. We didn't know. We just knew that this is what God wanted us to do. And then ultimately, like what the video showed with with our soldiers, God does call some people to pay that ultimate price of sacrifice to die on the mission field, to die um, for him, to share his word, to share the gospel. The four disciples that we talked about, they gave their ultimate life, right? Peter was crucified like Jesus on a cross, except Peter said, I don't want to do it the same way, head down. He was crucified upside down. Andrew was also crucified on an X-shaped cross. James is the only one that we actually read about his death in Scripture. It says that Herod uh, killed him with the sword. We believe that to mean that he was beheaded by Herod. And then John John was banished to the island of Patmos, right? And so he was kicked out and eventually um, later died. And so the one thing I do know for sure is if you're not a believer, God is calling you. He's calling you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He sees you and he's calling you. And if you are a believer, God's calling us to a life of obedience. It may be to move somewhere else to share the gospel, or it may be to stay put right here in Bradenton. But the one thing he's calling you to do is to make disciples, right? Here in verse 17, we read, And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, this could mean I I will send you out to fish for people or I will teach you how to fish for people. But either way, Jesus desires that his new disciples make more disciples. That's his desire. He wants these ordinary men to follow him so that he can teach them how to find other ordinary men and women to follow Jesus. In Matthew's gospel we read about the Great Commission. Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so in the Great Commission, it's bookend, right? By his power and his presence. He says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, I will be with you as you make disciples. I will be with you. And so we cannot do, we cannot make disciples in our own strength. And that's what Jesus is telling the disciples here in Mark. I will make you make disciples. He is the one who supplies the power. He is with us as we simply try to Follow his commands. He holds the authority. We do not have authority. Jesus does. He empowers us to make disciples. So the question is, number one, are you a disciple? Are you a Christ follower? And if yes, then are you making disciples? Scripture is clear. The same calling that Jesus placed on these early disciples, he's placed on our lives. And so are you making disciples? And that starts at home. Are you making disciples with your children? Are you serving in the church and making disciples here in your community? That's the question we must ask ourselves because Jesus empowers us. It's through him that we make disciples. And the last point is that Jesus requires a response. In verse 18, it says, they immediate, And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And again in verse 20, And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee and followed him. The kingdom of God, is a, it's an urgent call. It's an urgent call. It demands an absolute response. There's no escaping it. Everyone must respond to Jesus. You will encounter Jesus and you must respond. You see, God has created all things. He created all things good. And then Adam and Eve sinned. Sin entered this world. But God gave us a promise there in Genesis 3. He said that there's going to be a child and this child will be born. And he's going to bruise the head of Satan. He's going to have victory over Satan. And this child was born. And that's what Mark is telling us. This child was born. This child lived a sinless life. He died. He rose from the dead three three days later. This child, this promise from Genesis 3 is Jesus. We have an urgent call to tell people about Jesus. That's the call that that God has placed on our lives, to tell people about Jesus, to make disciples. And it's through his authority and his power that we get to share in this work, in this privilege with God to make other disciples. So this morning, I want to ask you, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Will you be like the rich young man who trusted in his own possessions, trusted in himself, and walked away disappointed? Or will you be like the disciples who dropped everything and said, Jesus is worth it. I want to follow Jesus. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you this morning to respond by saying yes to Jesus. He loves you. He sees you. He wants you to follow him. Respond to his call. Follow Jesus. Let's pray.